David Langan uh, asks, um, do you take and have any time for landscape photographs that are just for yourself and not for public consumption? If so, how do you describe them and, and are they different from your more commercial stuff? Um, yeah, I, I, this is a, is a question that I've had to look at uh, a lot. I, I think one of the difficulties as, as you get older and perhaps uh, to a, a little degree in the public eye is that there are a lot of assumptions are made about about your workflow and how you do things. And one of the assumptions that some people make is that I'm actually a clever person who can sort of, as it were, decide whether something's for the you know for somebody else or for me. Well, I can't. I don't do that. I'm not that clever. Yeah. But to me, the my photography is always trying to do my best and to try and fulfil what I believe is a good picture you know I'm not clever enough to say uh, okay well that's not a very good picture but I'll still do it anyway because yeah, I know it'll sell I yeah. don't do that yeah but believe it or not I, I don't I promise you Tim I don't do that I can't I can't take a picture that I don't think is all is at least all right I mean if I'm working for com for a commissioning client I feel it's my duty to do the very best I can for them and if it's for so-called commercial stuff, I presume that what David means by that is work that might end up hanging in the gallery. Well, I'm sorry, but it may look commercial to him, but I'm still trying to do my best. Yeah. And I don't, it, it may be that it's, this is a kind of genre of work that is, uh, let's say, accessible. Uh, and whereas there's quite a lot of my work, which you could say is uh, not popular, uh, there's a lot of work like that yeah. that I do, um, w which is abstract. Could this perception come out of the fact that the, the gallery act as a filter on what they display and therefore that is what people see of your work in many ways? Yes, and, uh, and in fairness, if, if you're a, um, somebody who uses the internet and you get to know your knowledge, you get your knowledge from that, you've only ever come across my work from the Joe Cornish Gallery site, you might very reasonably think that all my work is views and uh, that, that it's uh, probably quite colourful and of very popular subjects. I mean, the reality is that that, it's, that site is the gallery site and the gallery is an independent organisation whose job it is as a business is to, is to survive and prosper. And, and so clearly their editorial policy is to uh, make a, uh, and rightly so, it is to do work is to display work that they think has got a reasonable chance of selling. Yeah. And you the, know, the gallery isn't there to try and promote your artistic work. The gallery is there as a business. It is, and uh, you know, yes, and of, of course, the gallery. I you know know my fellow directors well enough to know that they, they of course, they want the best. I hope they want yes. the best for me, and and I, I there's nothing that they've done that undermines what what I'm. I'm about, of course, but but there's an angle to it, and yeah. that that angle is that w what we do at the gallery is is essentially, in a way, to serve the local community's pride in place. That it is largely about people from North Yorkshire who love the county and and who relate to that, and, and who you know who want to celebrate that. So, of course, most of the pictures are in that genre. Yeah. Whereas in my own work, it's broader than that. It includes work that's a great deal moodier. 
and a great deal more abstract and in some ways obscure uh, and that's sort, sort of more about my own agenda. So would it be fair to say that the, a book like Scotland's Mountains is probably as close to your yeah. A, a, yeah. a fair representation of what you... It is and, it, and, it, and in many ways it is a fair representation uh, of what I'm about as a person. I would say that especially Scotland's Mountains uh, where Eddie gave me a lot of, of of rope, I think, to express myself um, and to go on a, a journey yeah. is, uh, as, a sna- as I said earlier, as a snapshot of the time, um, as a, a reflection of what I believe, um, is a, a very good example of you know, of what I'm about, yes. Very good. Doug Chinneries, next question. Have you ever dabbled in more, I mean, he says more creative slash arty landscape image making? Um, intentional camera movement, shallow depth of field, etc. I think this is um, whether it's technique-based photography or, or stylized photography. I'm, yeah, okay. Ref- references are quite difficult. Coming from Doug, I'm I'm quite uh, you know quite conscious of the fact that he's more creative, as in perhaps I'm not being creative enough. Um, and that's a very probably a fair criticism if it's intended as such. And, and I, I take it on the chin. I'm sure it isn't. Um, I'm, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting question, actually, because for me personally, I've tried to plough a furrow that's a reflection of my um, long, long-held uh, philosophical position on on photography as being a faithful representation of the world that uh, as I see it, and the way that and the world that I saw yeah. when I was out with my camera. So. I could very, very briefly, what that means is generally things are well focused and and the colours are accurate, in spite of the fact that some people don't yeah. think they were. Um, on the whole, uh, that's what that's the furrow that I ploughed, and I've generally shied away from yes, deliberate camera movement, excessive motion blur, or um, uh, uh, let's say um, depth of field effects. Uh, as in very out of focus and stuff. Although I have done plenty of pictures like that in my course of my career, because I've done lots and lots and lots of close-ups. Yes. Um, but they're just not necessarily in the public domain. And, and some of the work you've done with um, close-up um, flora. Yeah. Um, it by is, by it's definition, quite you can't get the, you can't so, depth of field. So then, uh, given that you can't do that, and given that I'm I'm not perhaps doing that kind of work in, in the same spirit, mm. then I've rather than say do focus stacking which you can do as a as a technical solution and it's certainly a valid one um in that environment uh i've tended to go the other way and actually do more abstraction uh when i've done uh close-up work uh however um i think doug's question is more likely to reflect well what about landscape work uh, in in that sense of would i do that well i i have to say that uh, over the last couple of years i've been involved in uh, the kind of judging group on wildlife photography of the year, and I've learned a lot from that process. Uh, from from a being open-minded, uh, exploring genres, uh, well, uh, the genre of wildlife photography principally, and also environmental and uh, and hard-hitting environmentalist documentary photography. I've learned a lot about how other people work and and what the different uh, intention and uh, and goal. Of other photographers is, and one of them is that there's is there's a very very interesting and large uh, area of photography 
where there are fantastically creative artistic people out there still doing things mostly in camera that are um, that are landscape yeah and and so I've been quite inspired I hope by that certainly maybe not inspired in what I've done yet but by thinking I should also be prepared to step outside of my kind of well my philosophy is X and never move off that position uh, so to uh, so for example I, I just bought two bits of kit from Lensbaby you know one is a tilt a tilting adapter for yeah. Nikon lenses that works on a micro four-thirds camera. And the other is a, a straightforward, I think it's called the Sweet Optic 35mm tilting thingy, yeah. which goes directly on a Nikon, um, which is a really funny little lens. And yeah. it's got heaps of potential. I mean, it's it's got an incredibly overt signature. Yes. So it, you can't think it was ever done with anything else. So I, I'm still... Uh, still yet to find the image that's actually yes. going to really kind of make me think well that's a valid way of using it for a landscape but I've got it now so so I'm, I've opened my mind to that uh, but of course you don't have to do that you could easily do it with a view camera yeah. uh, in many ways um, but it's the movement I mean it's the, it, the it's, positioning of the camera and the experimentation is there I think above all it's the spirit of play yeah that that uh, you, you've got to ask yourself uh, you, you know having been a quite a serious photographer um, are you prepared to play in photography? And, and the answer is yes, I am. And, and, I, and, and so I've learned to do that to a large extent from using smaller cameras in the last few years. Uh, and, and I'm certainly prepared to, to push things. And uh, I may never publish any of that work, but uh, it is my intention. So to answer uh, Doug's question is, I'd probably say, have I? he asks, have I ever dabbled? Uh, only a little bit yeah. is the answer. But is my intention to dabble? Yes, definitely. And out of interest, which photographers have you seen? I mean, can you think of any particular names of photographers? Yes, I can. Yeah, the, and one person very much in particular would be Sandra Bartoka. Who's done very well in the wildlife photography. Who has. Yeah. And, and I've got, well, I wouldn't say I know Sandra, but I have met her a number of occasions and talked to her. And she's a very interesting person. And, and her work is very personal, very, very artistic. And she doesn't really claim to have any agenda other than an artistic one. And, and, and I think that's a big part of her strength. And the reason her images are so successful is that she doesn't sort of get worried about whether it's valid or philosophically acceptable. Yeah. She just does it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's wonderful. And they're, and they're wonderful images. They're very, very felt. They're, they are actually, uh, dare I say it, I was going to say very feminine. I probably shouldn't say that because that's not really appropriate. I think they are very beautiful and and they have a wonderful feeling and spirit about them um, and and she has definitely inspired me another photographer whose work I greatly admire is Klaus Klaus Nisia, who is a more of if you like a wildlife photographer but Klaus is somebody who just pushes everything right to the limit and and uh, Jasper Dusht a, a Dutch photographer Jasper's images are principally wildlife but he also uh, is, I'd say, a natural history stroke landscape photographer who thinks very, very artistically, poetically, yeah. as, as Doug does, by the way, um, about about landscape and the environment and how it fits, in his case, with the agenda of animals and birds in, in the habitat. Um, oh, and Doug has another question. Um, in, in an average month, how many days are spent out with a camera versus non-photographic days, i.e. studio, business, admin, 
etc. Okay, well, the, I'll answer this by obliquely by saying rather than how many days a month, I'll say 100 days a year, yeah. give or take, for the last 20 or even 25 years are probably what I've done. Some years more, some years less. And every month is different. Yeah. Uh, is, is this just getting out with a camera on that day or, or, or a reasonable getting, day? Uh, oh, okay, so I'm probably including days where I've just gone out for two or three hours. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you've got to, it's yeah. really difficult to do more than that. I mean, when I do assignment days, they're full days. When I do workshop days, you know, is that a photography day? It's yeah. difficult to say. Yeah. It, sometimes, it, it, clearly, it's always about the workshop participants first and foremost. But sometimes it can also be a, a day where you get some pictures. And if I included those as well, it'd probably be more than 100. Yeah. So if you were to say how many full days to get out, as in I've gone away for a... I've gone away and I've had a whole day or a Me only point. days, it probably have to go down to 60 if yeah. they were full days, 50 to 60. So then you can take that as one day a week, you know, which would be full days. But then it doesn't work like that because no. typically you, no. do, you do assignments where it might be three, four, five days in a row yeah. uh, doing that. And then well, you, sometimes you have fallow weeks. But that's, you see, that's why I tend to include in my evaluation the days when I go out and shoot dawn only or the days when I go out and shoot dusk only or, you know, whatever, because th those are also days when I'm working on my photography. Yeah. And I'm also working on my photography in other ways. I'm not just doing business admin. In fact, I don't do much business admin because yes. I, ha I hate it. Yeah. Uh, what I do is editing. I do yeah. a lot of editing and I do a lot of printing. Um, and when I do business admin, I usually get my friend of mine in to do bookkeeping and she does most of the work and, and I sort of say, mm, should we do this and blah, blah, blah. But we do that once every two weeks. So you're not spending a lot... A huge amount of time on the phone networking with with suppliers and people who might commission. No, yes. no, I'm not. Um, all right, Melvin Nicholson asks, "What advice would Joe offer to a landscaper who would like to turn pro, and if he was starting out today, having to complete w with so many landscape photographers who shoot digital, would he be as successful several years down the road? And if so, why?" I mean, it's similar to an earlier question, but it is, but it's couched slightly differently. Yeah. I, I mean, the, there is. You, you, perhaps when we reflect back, you know, at the end of our lives on, on photography, we'll see that there was this kind of watershed moment in the two, in the in the two thousands when the world kind of changed from film to digital, um, and unfortunately, uh, it, you know, it was a horrible period in lots of ways because everybody was saying, "Are you shooting digital yet?" Blah blah blah, uh, and I, for one, was I wasn't in denial about it, but I was always keen to say well you don't it doesn't it have to be that way um, and it depends what your intentions are um, I, I started off in the world of film and learned my trade in the world of film with the discipline of large format as a young photographer and then I shot 35 and, and medium format for many years and then I went back to large format and and that combination of experiences defined me as a photographer so that when I became became a digital photographer god that sounds awful <laughs> um, when I started shooting digital as my kind of bread and butter which I do today I already had that experience so that defined me as a photographer and I still shoot like a film photographer so today where people learn digitally uh, and it's much harder because first of all, you 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 don't you don't have such a disciplined start. You, you you it's in a way one of the great 
One of the great powers of, of digital is its freedom. Yeah. Freedom to experiment, freedom to try things, and freedom to learn fast. And I think that the, the great like digital photographers of today doing landscape have been fast learners who've used the camera as a, as a learning tool uh, and, and always been excited about asking what if, and who've then often probed backwards into film, some of them adopting film, some of them just using it as a... Uh, as, a, as a method of understanding how digital works better. Because after all, all cameras are still light-type boxes and uh, with a lens or, or not if you're a pinhole photographer. Yeah. And, and the arguably the receiving medium is irrelevant. But the key, the key in landscape photography, well, there, there are so many, but fundamentally it's about composition and light, yes, and timing and... and and those things remain the same, I believe, and the language of light is what, what, what defines how the compositions work yeah. in practice. So they're indivisible, and therefore that hasn't changed. But digital, ironically, I think, and it is ironic, that digital does not value your time in the way that film forces you to value your time and to ask the question, do I need to open the shutter at this moment? Will that picture, will that picture make a statement? Does it have a meaning? Is there a real, genuine point or idea to it? And that's why it's harder, I think, for digital photographers in many ways to, to absorb that lesson and to integrate it into the way that they work, which is not to say that occasionally digitally you'll shoot a lot of pictures because that's the appropriate technological way to work, especially if you're a wildlife photographer or a, uh, an events photographer. But as a landscape photographer, where you, it tends to be about reflection, about contemplation, uh, and about this intense presence in the moment, it's, it's harder, I think, to develop that discipline. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded an answer. Um, I, I think just... Uh, advice in terms of turning pro this is still for Melvin um, I, I, I can't really answer that except to say I still believe and maybe this is me the the old the old codger to, talking but I still believe it's about the work you know it's about the work the pictures that you make in addition to that now the ability to leverage the PR capabilities of social media I think are probably very important because it's also in addition to the pictures that you make it is about the narrative of your life about who you are what you do what you love and how those pictures are a reflection of who you are and what other people find in that narrative that they can relate to and that they respond to and that makes them want to go on a journey with you yeah. uh, or to support you by investing in your pictures uh, or your time. And, and so I think that that is a key. But I think if, if you put the PR first and there's nothing to back it up, why should anybody go on that journey yeah. with you? It's, it's, it's the product of the two, isn't it? We were mentioning earlier that you've got to have a bit of both, or a lot of both, preferably. But if you've only got one, if you've got the artistic um, creativity but no business skills, you won't make any money. If, you, if you've got business skills and not really any creativity... And nothing to offer. You, then you might make some money, but yeah, it's not that's going to be true. a lot. Yeah. Um, well, the, yes, I mean, the, 
you know, without wishing to be judgmental, the truth is that somebody with business skills will always make money, even if they've got no photographic skills, whereas the brilliant photographer with no business skills will never make any money. So yeah. if we're, that's a horrible thought, it is. isn't it? Because this is more important. Yeah, I'm not wrong. Because yeah. unfortunately, if you've got no business skills, the chances are you're not likely to inspire somebody to represent you either. Yeah. You have to have a degree of pragmatism about about the world. Um, and I mean, in a way, I think for the younger generation, grow up with those lessons today because they all grow up with Facebook and and the ability to communicate much better than I did. I was chronically shy when I was young, and I would have been hopeless. I would have been lost yeah. if the Joe Cornish, grown up in the 1958, you know, from 1958, was was thrown into this milieu with no Facebook or anything like that. I, I you know, I'd be lost. I'd, yeah. I'd be doing manual work. So you've never been you've never been the networker that. Goes to all the uh, absolutely not all the parties, getting to know the right people. And no, uh, no, and I, you know, I'd, hopeless. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to girls or you know any of those. I was honestly, it was pathetic. I, yeah, I can't believe looking back. And I, you know, ironically, if I have any social skills today, it is because of photography. Yeah. It's because I learned confidence through becoming good at something. Yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned was that. And people think Joe Cornish landscape photographer, but you weren't a landscape photographer originally. That's a, that's quite a long journey morphing into a landscape photographer over time. You didn't yes. sort of stop at one point and go, "I'm going to be a landscape photographer." Today. Absolutely true. As a as a working photographer, I certainly did not come out of uni and suddenly set myself up as a landscape photographer. You know what a that that would have been a, a dream come true, but uh, I I knew absolutely for sure that was never going to happen. Uh, so I, you know, I pragmatically went to assist. I went to, uh, you know, once I assisted for several years, four years. Uh, I started doing general practice photography. Was that general assistance? Well, I worked for a number of photographers, but mainly in America, yeah. with Mike Mitchell. And then I actually assisted when I came back to England. I worked in London uh, as as a an agent's assistant for a while, and I then assisted some of his photographers. One in particular. Uh, for a for a short while, I got very, very disillusioned with that work quite quickly, and I, I tried to escape from it. And um, I did that by, by working as as a, well. I actually started working for a friend, doing odd jobs and did some design work. I had no design experience, but you know I had an artistic background. Yeah. So and uh, and then doing uh, portraits and. And that and one thing led to another, and you, you learn pretty quickly that a you have to talk to people whether you don't whether you like it or not, yes. um, and you you have to set your mind to anything. Now, what I did have good skills as a still life photographer because I've worked with Mike, who was a brilliant brilliant still life studio photographer, um, and and so I was able to actually work for a while doing that kind of work. Uh, and get reasonably well paid for it. As well paid, by the way, then, as I do get paid now when I go out to do a day's work, uh, 30 years later. And that's another story. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then I also got one or two opportunities. I used to still go out and take uh, to landscapes because I, I'd done landscapes when I was a student and I yeah. loved doing it. And because I still you did had that in America as well, didn't you? Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. And I still had this dream of doing landscape photography and... Uh, I met Charlie Waite in two th- uh, 2000, in 1984. Ah, oh, goodness, 85. Sorry. Yeah. 
and that's when I met David as well and uh, Nick Mears and, and various other uh, young landscape photographers and, and Charlie had already started Landscape Only which was this photographic library yeah. um, and I, I had some early success with that but I wasn't a landscape photographer then I was doing landscapes and as part of, of a, a wider uh, kind of uh, it was, it's like a sandwich a different, or a cake that, of things that you do as a, yeah. you have to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that and a little bit of the other um, and that's always been true for me I've hardly ever just been one thing yeah. I've always done lots of little things the next question um, I think that is Dennis Ballyboos um, do you listen to music while working and if so, what type? Okay, two answers to that question. I do not listen to music while I'm shooting pictures. Um, so if that is what Dennis means by, uh, by it, the answer is no. Um, do I listen to music when I'm driving, which is, you could say, is part of work? Well, yes, I do. And sometimes thinking about the pictures I might take or preparing myself mentally yeah. so that in the preparation I might listen to music. Um, and certainly when I'm editing if I'm if I'm editing, uh, uh, especially late at night, I'll quite quite often listen to classical music. Uh, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I basically listen to classic FM because I I can uh, I, rather than Radio Three. I know that that music snobs will all say, well, of course, classic FM is rubbish, um, but it's still magnificent music, yeah. you know, and it's quite varied and. Um, you know, you know that what you're going to listen to, because it's often familiar, will actually help to soothe the kind of process. And it, and it also is a little background reminder that this beautiful sound that you're listening to is a creative process that involves a shared endeavour with other people and that is, a, um, it is in many ways a monument to the human spirit and and that's a kind of a nice little kind of thing to remember when you're doing creative work yourself now you say you don't listen to music when you're out looking for pictures is that because it distracts you or is it because for another reason or, or I, I think if i think the reason is because the sound of the landscape itself is part of the sensory experience of being there and the problem is that once you introduce another sound you're actually blocking out you can describe it in statistical terms maybe 30 percent of the sensory experience of being in the landscape the others being you know the feel and texture that you experience through your skin you know the the temperature of the air um the the smells of course and and then of course the visual phenomena but they are all it linked and that i think to be really there you actually need to be able to hear as well. 